We'll start in prayer and then we'll get into the lesson. Lord, we thank you today for your day. We thank you for your word and the truth that we find in it. Lord, I do pray that you would be with those that are out today, either sick or various reasons why they're not here. I just pray that you would be with them, encourage them. And Lord, again, just be with us as class as we uh, dive into your word this morning. In your name, amen. 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 Well, Romans, how many of you have had a chance to read through Romans 1 more than once or twice? A few times. Romans 1, it's a great chapter. We're going to <clears throat> endeavor to um, get through verse 17. So verses 8 through 17. 16 and 17 are the thrust of the book. It's the main thought process of the book are those two verses. Um, So we're going to get there time. So what we're going to do is I want to read through it, have someone read through it. And then I want to, um, you can see kind of on your outline the different words and things that I've picked out. And we're going to just go through it and, and talk about those. Uh, and this morning, we want to make sure that we are engaging with one another and kind of thinking through what this is saying. I don't want this to be just me up here uh, teaching. I want us to look at Scripture and try to see what's in there and, and maybe challenge ourselves to think, what is this meaning and what's the, the overall point of each section? Uh, that we're going to go because each section has somewhat of a theme uh, point to it. And so we want to make sure we're drawing that out. We don't want to get off into what I call the weeds. We don't want to get off into areas that the, the point of the, the lesson is not uh, there. And we make something, uh, make something bigger than it should be because it's not the point. Okay. So someone wants to read verses, well, actually, let's just do verses 8 through 12, because that's our first section. So someone want to read verses 8 through 12. Okay. Romans 1, 8 through 12. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Good. Okay, so the first thing we have there that on, that's on your paper is he's thankful. All right, this is a uh, common theme with Paul. He's always uh, in in a lot of his letters uh, that he writes. He writes and he talks about how thankful he is uh, to who he is that he's writing to, and he continues that thought here. The only one that he really doesn't do that with is Galatians. Okay, the book of Galatians, uh, he, he doesn't give a thankful statement about them. Okay, 
But this is just common for Paul to be very thankful for the believers and to be encouraged in them. Yes, sir. Yes. So, um, just, uh, just a note there that Paul is very grateful for the Romans and for most of them. And he was grateful for the uh, Galatians too. He just didn't uh, mention that in the letter. But um, very common for Paul to express his gratitude for them. All right, and then the next section, or what, what, so we see obviously he's thankful. What is the next phrase that grabs your mind? I have because of their faith. Um, this is probably going to be a little harder because I've already got them, what my thoughts are there. So, um, but as you're reading down, does something else grab your mind besides that? There's a statement about throughout the world. Okay. So the, the statement, so because of their faith, you know, so we'll, we'll go there and then we'll go to the, the whole world. Because of the faith, this is something that has uh, spread out. Now, Rome was a major city at that time. So anything that happened in Rome um, was it, it kind of like if it happens in New York, you're going to know what's going on, right? If, you, if it happens in any of our major cities in America, you're going to know what what's going on, even if you live in a rural area. So um, that being said, that's kind of what Rome is. And so because of their faith, the idea here is the faith of the believers in Rome was being spread out. And in the year of 49, um, Cornelius, the, the emperor at that time, uh, expelled all of the Jews, or the majority of the Jews, from uh, the city because their faith was having such an impact. Uh, an impact with the, the city that he got rid of them. And so the faith was being spread around um, where they would know. So he's thankful and he's talking about that. Do you have any idea how long between the establishment of the Roman church till he wrote this letter? I mean, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I, yeah you know, I'll have to get back to you. I'm not sure. I didn't see anywhere in uh, the commentaries where it made mention of that. So we just know when it was written. Um, and yeah. I'll have to get back with you on the, the timeline between it. It was written on Paul's third missionary journey. Well, that's when it was written, but he was wondering when the church kind of was established there in Rome. So, yeah, I'm not... Was it Paul that originally... No, no. Paul had, at, at this point, Paul had never been to Rome. And that, we'll see that as we read here, uh, as we go down. But Paul had never been to Rome. He had always longed to get there, but he hadn't made it to Rome yet. So um, he's thankful for them because their faith has been, and it's a genuine faith. It's a real faith that has been uh, published throughout all. And if you, if you just for uh, understanding of the time frame and so on, as far as the Jews were uh, expelled or kicked out of the city, if you go to Acts, and you don't have to turn here, just write it down. Acts 18.2 uh, refers to that. There's a man that has left 
uh, Rome because he's a Jew <clears throat> and it states that in Acts 18 verse 2. Okay. So, so the Christians with their faith unpopular because of Rome or because of Jews that were not believers in Christ? It was a little bit of both. There was a there's just conflict within the city. And uh, there was there's Jews conflict and then there was just obviously they the the Christian belief was not just it wasn't a popular uh, be, uh, something that was popular. So because it was causing an uproar and and and, and so on, um, believing in someone raising from the dead and all of the things that uh, Christians, these us weirdos, believe, you know that God is or Jesus is God and that He lived a perfect life and He came and died and and rose again and all of the things of the gospel uh, that does not uh, jive with a lot of. Uh, what was going on in Rome. Yeah. <laughs> they, they wouldn't worship Caesar. Right. Yeah. That was like one of the biggest things. Yeah. They didn't recognize him as God. It was very, yeah, that, and thanks for bringing that out. The, the Jews, uh, believers of any kind, but the Jewish believers, majority of the Jews were kicked out. They, he didn't kick out the Roman believers or the, the Gentile believers. Uh, but the Jews were, but it was similar to if you go back to like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, bow down before the altar. The, the, the emperor at that time <clears throat> was demanded to be worshipped, and they would not worship him and Christ. And so that's another reason uh, we'll get rid of them so that their influence on the rest of the people would not cause them to uh, not want to. Right. Not not worship the the emperor at that time. So the the phrase the whole world. Uh, Mike, did you have a thought on that, or did you? Well, I'm just you know to, to say the whole world, and, and I don't know what they considered to be their world, because obviously they weren't talking about people in the new land of the United States yet. Right. <laughs> so the the Roman uh, world at that time really consisted of the Mediterranean area. Everything that was around the Mediterranean. So when they say the world, they're not talking like the world as we know it. So if we would say everyone in the world knew what was going on in our context today, that would be very true, right? Because we know every case of COVID that's happened, you know, in the deepest parts of jungle that don't even have it, uh, that are covering it. So, um, right? So the, we, we know everything that's going on in the world, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, and at that time, obviously, the technology and stuff wasn't there. So the, the, the world um, in biblical times that's talking about is the Mediterranean area. Uh, still a large area. And again, we know that uh, anything that happened in Rome was published anywhere that it could be published. Okay? So anywhere that the written word could be sent, what was going on in Rome, decisions made in Rome, all of those things. The capital of the world. Right, pretty much. So very big city um, and uh, important, at, especially at this time uh, in Scripture. Okay, so just 
understanding. And, and these are important things to grasp as we're Bible students, that we're not just reading and thinking, oh, wow, people in China and Africa and all of these other countries knew what was going on. No, it was more localized. It wasn't. But still, the idea is everyone that was around that area knew of their faith and their faith was being proclaimed in, a, in a, an amazing way. Okay. So the next uh, little phrase I have in there is servant uh, uh, in my spirit. Okay, what do we think that he's getting at when he talks about uh, that in verse uh, number nine? For God whom I serve in my spirit and preach the gospel of a son. What's he getting at here? Okay, he, he kind of refers to it later, and we'll get here in several months. But if you want to turn over to Romans 12, Romans 12, he talks about it again. Romans 12 and verse 1, it says, For I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, and that is, um, that's really what's meant by that. Okay, that makes sense? It's a spiritual service of worship. Okay, so the idea there is... Uh, for God whom I serve and worship in my spirit and preach the gospel. So it's a, it's a spirit of worship and um, obligation to the Savior, to the Spirit, uh, to preach and witness. Okay? And again, this verse, uh, it's talking about his, that's, that's his heart, that's his desire, is to worship and to minister uh, by the preaching of the gospel of the Son. And we're going to uh, park for a little bit on that phrase here in just a minute. But any other thoughts on, on that? Moving quickly, I, the, some, one of the commentaries that I um, really enjoy is R.C. Sproul's. And he, uh, his commentaries are his messages. And so you can read word for word or listen to it, and it's the same. So I listen to his, his deal because it's easier with my dyslexia. <laughs> and he gets to the end of his message and says, wow, I have spent 47 like minutes on verses 8 through 15, and the entire book of Romans is kind of geared around 16 and 17, and I have 16 minutes, or six minutes to preach on it. <laughs> I don't want to do that today. So we're going to get to verses 16 and 17 as quickly as we can with a short stop here uh, at the gospel of his son, because I think that's an important uh, phrase, okay? So we're going to try to, some of this greeting and so on, we're going to just kind of move through. We're going to hit it as much as you guys want to and if I don't get a lot of questions on it we'll just move through it okay but um, yeah so we're going to dive into a little bit of the gospel of the son now I'm going to ask some questions 
there's not, uh, and, and just speak what you think is uh, on your mind here, okay? If I said, I want you uh, to share the gospel using your testimony as the primary way of doing it, would that be a good way of sharing the gospel? Yes or no? Using your testimony of what's happened in your life as the primary way of sharing the gospel, is this a good technique, bad technique, doesn't really matter technique, what would you say? Depends on what's included in testimony. Okay. Expound, I guess. You know, if you just talk about how thankful you are that you were saved, but you don't talk about how you were a sinful person. You don't talk about um, how Christ was uh, sacrificed on the cross and blood sacrifice this way. Uh, imputed righteousness to you um, and that he rose again and that you were with him one day in heaven. Um, if you don't incorporate those, those passages of the scripture, then you're just telling a story that might fall short of what they really need to hear. Right. Yeah, I'm just thinking because obviously a big part of the gospel is um, how Jesus rose again and as um, doesn't really like this story of like your personal testimony obviously it's something that you do believe that is essential for yourself and it's not about me mm-hmm. it's about you you're good mm-hmm. well I'm, I'm just thinking that the, the verse in the Bible talks about the blind man and he's like all I know is I couldn't see and now I see and it's um, and is there a verse that says, you know, if we can get on how God changed our lives, you know. Um, so I think that there is good in us Yeah, so it's very good. And what we often get to is when we begin to share our testimony, it's very me-focused, especially some of us that have had a uh, uh, maybe rougher, you know, maybe like Roy that's, you know, was saved later in life and handsome. And you, you spend the majority of your time sharing the gospel, speaking about who I am, what I did, how wretched I was, which are, it's all good. But as Mike said, if that's the gist of what your gospel presentation is, you've missed it entirely. Because the gospel is not about you and I. The gospel is about Christ. That is the, the thrust that Paul is trying to, to get here. Uh, the phrase here is interesting. It's uh, verse 9. It says, For God whom I serve in, the, in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. The preaching of the gospel of his son. This gospel belongs to Jesus. He is the author. He is the creator of the gospel. It's about him. And if we are sharing the gospel so-called sharing the gospel and not have him as the primary focus, we've missed it entirely. So we have some verses that uh, I want us to read that really emphasize this. So uh, there's a few here. So 1 Corinthians 15. Who's got 1 Corinthians 15? Jessica, 3 and 4. Okay. Philippians 
2. Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Okay, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Titus 3, 4 through 7. Mike? Okay, John 1, 29. John 1, 29. Okay, we're going to go all the way back to Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Roy, can you get that one? Yeah. Okay, and then Luke 24, 46 through 47. Okay. And then Acts 13, 38. Okay, Mike? 13, 38. Okay, so we'll just read them and then um, we'll give maybe a short little thought about each one of those. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance that I also receive that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, so what does Paul say there uh, at the very beginning of that verse? What's, what's the key part of the beginning well, of that verse? Well, the message that he delivered. First importance. Okay, so the gospel is spelled out here and it's of first importance. And what does he say the first importance is? Through the scriptures that he, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, if we look at Romans back up, uh, it, and what Dean went over last week, uh, it talks about who was declared the Son of God, in verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power. Okay, He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Such an important aspect of knowing Christ and His gospel is if Christ came and He was God, if Christ came and He lived a perfect life, if Christ came and He died... And it ended there. We have no gospel. We have nothing to believe in. Just another teacher. Yeah, there's no different than worshiping this, right? It's just dead. It's on the. It's there. So, without the resurrection from the dead, that act is what uh, solidified that he is the Son of God. So, just a, a key point there in verse four. All right, so uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, Okay, again, the gospel, that's is what it's about. Who he is, he is, he is God, he came, he humbled himself, and he gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross. This is the gospel of his son. That's what it's 
very important. And these verses are great verses uh, to share when you are sharing your testimony. And then you transition between talking about what Christ has done for you and what Christ can do for them. That is when you start sharing the gospel. So there has to be a transition point. Oftentimes sharing our testimony is what gets us into the opportunity to share the gospel. What God has done for me gives me the opportunity to go into it. So it's a great thing to share your testimony, but don't spend so much time on your testimony that you get, you know, two minutes for sharing the gospel. Get through your testimony because it's not about you. It doesn't matter if you were a saint and got saved, okay? Make sure you can't see that on the or the audio, but I'm joking. Right? If you were, you know, if you were raised in a Christian home and you know, yada yada yada, and got saved at a young life, or if you were a gang member that you know was in prison and got saved, both of those are miraculous, and both of those took a mighty work of God in your life because God is the one that generates that, and we want to. Uh, spend as little time talking about us and as much time as we can talking about who the gospel belongs to. Okay, and that is Jesus. Okay, Titus 3, 4 through 7. Titus 3. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, will be poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Okay. Another great uh, way to share the gospel is that verse, and it talks about what He's done in our life. Okay. John 1, 29. John 1, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so this is John uh, the Baptist speaking of Jesus. And he just plain as day says, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again, emphasis is on who? It's all about Jesus. The gospel must be about Jesus. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet ourselves, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he who was pierced through for our transgressions, he who was crushed for our iniquities, the chastening for all well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Amen. So this is an amazing passage because it hadn't happened yet, right? This is a prophecy of what was going to happen. And this is God saying, I'm in charge of salvation the whole way through. And I'm going to tell you all the way back in Isaiah's time frame of what's going to happen here in the next uh, several hundred years is that by my wounds, you will be healed by my stripes. Okay. Again, it's all about Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for us. Okay. 
Luke 24. Luke 24, 46 and 47. Who had that one? Okay. I'm going to back up to part of 45. Yes, ma'am. That's fine. They opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to his name to all nations beginning from Okay, so this again is uh, just clear in while Jesus was still on earth, the just who it is that it's about and that repentance is uh, a part of salvation um, and that we believe uh, in his resurrection. Okay, at that time, what were they saying in, in Jesus' day? Jesus came and said, tear down this temple, and in three days I'll rise it. And he said, it took 40 years to build that thing. You're going to raise it in three days? Which the thing is, is he could do either one, right? He could raise himself in three days, or if the physical temple, he could have done that too, because he's God. But he's speaking, obviously, of himself as the temple and when he dies and so they scorned him back then and said Haha, you're funny I took it 40 years to do and you're going to build it in back in three days and so um, yeah the the foolishness of the gospel to those that don't believe right but for those of us that do believe it is the power of God and we'll see that as we go through the section all right and the last verse here is Acts 13 38 Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Okay, through him. And that's where I wanted to emphasize again that the gospel is from start to begin, start to end, and everything in between has to be about Christ and what he's done. If you say, I went out and shared the gospel, and it did not entail that Jesus is God that we see there in John chapter 1, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we don't entail that who Jesus was, that's a, an, uh, an essential part of the gospel. That we don't talk about his perfect life. Because without a perfect life, his death means nothing, Right? Many people, Peter and a lot of the other apostles and, and Stephen, all died because of the gospel, and none of their deaths did anything for us, right? Why? Because they had sinned. Their deaths meant nothing uh, as far as salvation uh, for our lives would be. So understanding his perfect life was essential, and that must be a part of sharing the gospel and the understanding that Christ lived a perfect life. Because when we talk about him living a perfect life, it's really hard for us to say, well, he was just a man. You know, he was a good guy, but he was just... Well, no, he lived a perfect life. There is nothing that you can put on him that says, well, yeah, but in this area or in this area... No, because his life was perfect. So that's, those two are essential. And then, obviously, his death, right? His death was a major part because without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness of sin. 
There had to be shedding of blood. That is part of the gospel. And as we share the gospel to our loved ones, as we share the gospel to those that we meet in our community, we must teach them. And the, the book of Romans is going to detail through throughout it this uh, point, but that we understand that there had to be shedding of blood to death. Okay, that's where the burial part is important because Christ didn't just bleed on the cross and then they pulled the spikes out and pulled him down and put him in the hospital and revived him. And then he was sent on his way and the bleeding was good. Okay, or acceptable or some people say he bled in the um, he bled in the garden. It's not a an acceptable uh, Payment. He had to die. And so the death on the cross and understanding the burial is such a key part of the gospel. Because people have a problem with that too. They don't want to hear that right. you actually have to die. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, the wages of sin, as we get to here in chapter 3 of Romans, the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift. But you can't have that free gift without the death on the cross. Okay? Such an important, wonderful aspect of the gospel. But the first four mean nothing without the last one. Right? The first four, there is no meaning whatsoever without the last one, which is the raising of the dead. Okay? If the wages of sin is death, Christ of the perfect life, death has no power over him. Right. So Christ took the sins of us upon himself. And that's why he died. So he yeah. took all of our sins yeah. upon yeah. himself. And that's why. Because Christ... Um, without doing that, had no purpose to die, right? Because right. his, his payment for living was not death because he had no sin. And so the reason why Christ had to die is because he took the sins of the world upon himself, which ultimately caused, caused condemned him. him to die. Otherwise, if he did not take sins upon him, because he lived a perfect life, he wouldn't die. Right. He had power over life and death. Yep. What we sing the song, Christ had power the entire time. You know, when he, uh, when he was being beaten and scourged and went through all the trials and was quiet, all he would have to do is look at them and they would have been eliminated. Okay? Uh, we sing the song, he could have called 10,000 angels. Okay? God, Jesus was God the entire time. And that is why uh, we can do nothing but love him. Right? God, the creator, which says that in John chapter one, that he is the creator. Jesus came and lived and died for wretched sinners like us. And what can we do but be so uh, eternally grateful for him? And that is why we do share our testimony. That is why Paul shares his testimony in the book of Romans. Uh, or I mean, the book of uh, Acts a, a few times, right? His encounter on the on the road to Damascus, right? And, and shares, but he doesn't dwell there long. He always gets back to who it is the gospel is about, and it's never 
Again, it's never about you and I. It's always about him. And so Paul is driving that home here, as he says, um, through the gospel of his son. Okay, and then he says I, that, that that son is the witness to how much I really want to come see you guys. Okay, and have made mention of you. And then verses 10, it, it goes in always in my prayers. And Paul constantly through uh, all of his epistles is always uh, pointing back to how much he's praying for them and encourage them and also encourages people to uh, pray along with him and to join in him in his prayer. But he reminds or lets them know that he has made mention of them. Uh, a request for always in my prayers making requests and then the he's praying for them but in his prayer it is that he would by the will of God be able to come to them okay so he's just letting the Roman readers here know early in his letter my desire to come see you is very strong for I long verse 11 for I long to see uh, for I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Okay, what do we think on this verse? What do, what do we think that the spiritual gift is talking about? We think it's something special? A special gift? Okay, I don't have it in your, your notes because we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. The verse, the, 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 the two verses kind of answer it. It says, for I long to see so that so I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. The spiritual gift is an establishment of the gospel, establishment, establishment of the word of God. Uh, that the, the gift is that establishment, okay? The, the strengthening in the word of God. Uh, so this is one of the primary reasons the, the book of Romans was written. It's so that the, the Roman believers here would be strengthened and encouraged. Okay, uh, And then in verse 12, it says, um, let me see, that, uh, that is that, okay, so then he kind of clarifies himself. That is that I may encourage, uh, be encouraged together with you while among you okay so he's wanting to encourage them and be encouraged himself each of us by each other's faith uh, both yours and mine so he's saying as i come to you i'm going to be encouraged in your faith you'll be encouraged in mine and it's it's all about uplifting one another and encouraging one another to grow and nurturing one another is what uh, this these two verses are really getting after okay some some of my commentaries spent uh, a longer time on this most of them just kind of moved through it because it's just Paul saying how how much he desires to be there and that his desire is to see them grow and to be encouraged and strengthened in the gospel and in faith and in justification and really understanding everything uh, about the Christian life, okay? So any, any thoughts or ideas on those verses? Um, with that, I just go with the iron sharpens iron and do not forsake the assembly and those 
two verses this week were huge for me because you need the body of Christ to be encouraged. Yeah. It's a hard world we live in, and God gives us each other. Absolutely. Okay, and then we go through 13 through 15, and uh, I'm just going to touch on this briefly. It talks about that he is obligated to the Greeks and the barbarians, okay? The idea here, the Greeks of that day were the elite, uh, high-classed people, okay? This would be your uh, Harvard, Yale, you know, people that are highly educated, probably have some money in their bank account, and um, it's not derogatory at any means. Uh, it's just, it's a highly cultural people, okay? And the barbarians were uh, those that basically weren't highly cultured, and they weren't from Rome, Greek, or Christian. So the, the, the idea is the barbarians uh, were not associated with the Roman culture, Greek culture, or Christian culture. And so those cultures would typically uh, mark them as barbarian. One commentary said uh, the Greeks, uh, because of the language that the barbarians would speak, uh, it sounded like um, gibberish, bar, bar, bar. Is what the is the commentary said, and so they they came up with the bon, barbarian, yeah. So the well, no, they just didn't speak the Greek language or the those higher languages. Um, you know, oftentimes when we see or we look at the word barbarian, we think of the movies, you know, where the till the hun, you know, and it's just the guys that go to kill everything. That's not what it's it's. Lower class people, basically, is a lower class. We see it in the United States, right? We have the Harvard, Yale, uppity uppies, and the rest of us that didn't go to Harvard, Yale. Okay. Yeah, the, the, the people, yeah, so the, the commoners, if you want to say, okay? And Paul is just making sure, emphasizing in this lesson that I have been called to both groups. We are not only uh, sharing the gospel, the truth to uh, the, the uppity ups and the wise. We are also doing it to the commoner and the fools. Okay, And that's what it says there. Uh, I am under obligation, verse 14, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Okay, So basically, he's under obligation. This obligation is not an obligation of... Uh, anything more than uh, the spiritual responsibility to make sure the gospel is given to both Greeks, barbarians, wise, and foolish. Encompasses everyone, right? Mm. There's, 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 you're either wise, you're foolish, you're either high class, or you're middle, or you're a barbarian. All right. And so, <clears throat> um, it, all of it, it's just all encompassing. Uh, verse 15, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel, as we just went over in detail, the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Okay? Um, in verse 13, just a quick notion, it says that he wants to bear some fruit among you as uh, the rest of the Gentiles uh, the idea there is he's understanding the majority of the Roman 
church is made up of Gentiles because the 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 Jews there there was for sure some Jews still there that had not fled the city, um, but the majority of the church was Gentiles, and so he's desiring to get there to see some some fruit uh, growing in the lives of the Roman believers there. Okay, now we have. I've done better than he is. I've got about 14 minutes to cover these last two verses. Okay? So verses 16 and 17. Um, We've got quite a few verses uh, that we're going to look at here. Uh, I might just have you write them down for the sake of time. Okay? But um, it says here at the beginning of verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul gives his testimony of his Christian life uh, in in a couple different places. But in Acts, uh, we see that Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. Okay, so when he states to the Romans here that I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ, he proves it by his actions. Because in Acts 16, and again, just write these down. You can go back and look at them. Acts 16, we'll be covering this here in a few weeks, um, uh, several weeks. But um, 16, 23, and 24, it talks about Paul's imprisonment in Philippi. And then he was chased out of Thessalonica. And we see that in Acts 17, 10. Okay, and then he was scourged out, uh, or um, smuggled, sorry, out of uh, Berea. Okay, he had to be uh, urged out of Berea because of the gospel. And we see that in Acts 17, 13, and 14. He was laughed at in Athens, okay, uh, because of the gospel. But he still went forward, and that's in Acts 17, 23. And then he was stoned in Galatia in Acts 14 and verse 19, okay? And so Paul continued to preach and to teach and to really go after the, the word of God and, and the gospel. And when he says, I am unashamed, None none of this stuff caused him to stop or to cease or to second guess that we see written. Now, he was human, so there's probably times that he's like, what am I doing? These scourgings, you know, I've been scourged five times now, or I've been stoned, or I've been shipwrecked, or all of these different things, or I've been imprisoned multiple times. I'm getting tired of it. Paul here says, I am unashamed of the gospel. Okay, gospel, gospel, gospel. What is the most important thing that Paul is driving here is the gospel. If if you get anything out of this lesson today, I want you to understand the importance of the gospel and what the gospel is. Okay, the church today in America and around the world has so polluted the gospel that when they say, I get up in the pulpit and I preach the gospel, that can mean just about anything. There is no, uh, there's no truth and just narrow idea of what the gospel is. The gospel is any time a preacher gets up behind the pulpit and shares anything, that is the gospel. That is so far from what the gospel is. We've already talked about 
what the gospel is. And if you're not sharing the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection, his life, and who he is, you're not sharing the gospel. You're preaching. You're sharing the word of God. And that's important because we need to uh, share the entirety of the word of God. We just went through Deuteronomy. But if you notice at the majority, if not most of uh, the sermons in the book of Deuteronomy always went back to where the gospel, because if you don't preach the gospel, you have no power. Okay. There is that is where the power is. And where do we see that? I'm just not shooting that from the hip. Oh, it's from the next part of this verse. For this is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is where the power of salvation lies. You cannot be saved without the hearing of the gospel. That is the way God uses, that's the means which God uses to bring about salvation in our life is through the power of the gospel uh, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. Now we've, we've gone over this uh, many times, uh, that last statement, but I'll just refresh your mind. The gospel was brought to the Jews first. And then after the Jews rejected it, it was proclaimed through the Gentiles or the Greeks. The, the, the phrase there is interchangeable, Greeks or Gentiles, uh, those that are non-Jews. Okay, So Jesus brought the, uh, and that was just his plan before the beginning of time, that the, the Jewish people would bring about the Savior of the world, and the gospel would be given to them first, and then proclaimed to the Greeks or Gentiles. Okay, very, very uh, important aspect. All right, the power of God. Now, we understand that God's power, and what do we know about God's power? Well, let's read just two, uh, two, chap- or two little uh, verses here, three verses actually. So someone grabs Psalms 33, 8, and 9. Psalms 33, 8, and 9, and Jeremiah 10, 12. Jeremiah 10, 12. This talks about the power of God and, and what he has control of. Okay? So who has Psalms 33? Psalms 33, 8 and 9, and Jeremiah 10, 12. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world Okay, so this talks about his power, right? We're not we're not uh, unaware of how powerful he is by that verse. Jeremiah. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he has stretched out the heavens. Okay, so this same God is the same God that is talking about here. He has this power of God for salvation. The same God that has control over all that is the same God that has the power of salvation. Okay, he's the one that controls it all. There is no, uh, no doubt. Okay, and then we're going to get to verse 17, unless somebody has a thought on that. Somebody have a thought on verse 16. Remember, this is on the, the opening part of your book, uh, or 
cover sheet there, right? These two verses is what the book of Romans builds on. This is the thrust of the whole thing. is the power of the gospel to salvation. And the power is given to God to believe. Okay, in verse 17, for in it, for in what? For in what though? For, so for in it, what is it? The gospel. For in it, the gospel, the right for in the gospel, you could say the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man will, shall live by faith. Now, I, um, I looked up this verse in the NIV and I thought that it... Uh, read uh, very well. So I'm going to read that for you. Uh, verse 17, read, uh, read out of the NIV translation. For the gospel, okay, so it, it says it there, for the gospel, a, uh, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from, by faith from the first to the last. Okay, so that is the idea given here that um, when it says from faith to faith, it means from the beginning of your faith to the end, from the beginning of your Christian life to the till you take your final breath. uh, The righteousness of God is being revealed in you and through you. Okay, this impact of the righteousness of God. And so the book of Romans talks about righteousness. It talks about salvation. It talks about justification. And the righteousness of God is revealed from the beginning of your faith till the end of your faith. And it is written, and uh, where we see this uh, from Old Testament is in Habakkuk. Okay, the book of Habakkuk, uh, chapter 2 and verse 4, it states, uh, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And so faith is an essential part of the book of Romans as well, that we have to have faith in Christ, faith in him. And what a, a, uh, an incredible um, important aspect that is. Uh, when we talk about the righteousness of God, someone grab Philippians 3, Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 11. Yep. <clears throat> but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain the same to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so Paul here 
uh, in Philippians, in his letter there, uh, gives a beautiful picture of the righteousness of God and that it is not of us, but it is bestowed upon us through God. It is his righteousness. We have no righteousness in and of ourselves. Okay? We are born sinners and we are nothing but sinners uh, and, and vile creatures except because of Christ and what he has done for us, in us, and through us. And that is where our righteousness comes from. It does not come from anything you and I can do. We cannot be a righteous person outside of him giving his righteousness to us. Okay? Any uh, thoughts on those two key verses? Or questions or ideas? God sovereignty to choose to save this gospel. Yep, we'll, we will definitely be hitting that. Um, God is sovereign. We see that in his power. We see that in his gospel. We see that in every aspect of, of God's life, of his sovereignty, his complete and utter control, and that nothing outside of him controls anything. He controls every aspect of everything. There's nothing that is outside of his control, uh, including salvation. There are some that don't believe that. They believe that it is completely our choice. And uh, we stay tuned because we will be getting into uh, that topic. Okay. Well, thank you. It's been great today. I hope this lesson was encouraging. It was fun to go through. Uh, and uh, we will pick up in verses 18 through 25 next week. Okay. Some, some good stuff. Very, uh, very cultural needed for today. Okay, I'm talking about uh, men and women doing things they ought not to. Okay? So, uh, Roy, would you close us in prayer? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in and study a word. We're thankful for Mark and his study in Alabama. Amen.